Hello and welcome to Series 2 of We Make the Future, brought to you by PyTop. Today I have a little helper to tell you all about this episode. This episode is all about Lego play and engineering. Here's a taste of what's coming up. As humans, we are born to build. We're born to do stuff with our hands and create stuff. Teachers are so busy these days that sometimes they've just got to get through the curriculum. And this is not the fault of the teacher, but sometimes children's eyes aren't opened up to how amazing science and engineering can be. You can look at something and think you see it all, but you haven't. Until you've made it and gone, oh, actually, then it collapsed. Oh. My guest this week is the co-judge of the hit TV show Lego Masters here in the UK. Uh, She's also the science content developer at the Royal Institution. And we're pleased to say she's a massive fan of PyTop. So with the Lego 2 movie opening last week, I thought it was high time I sat down with Fran Scott for a chat about play, science and engineering. Here's what she had to say. So, Fran, thank you for coming in. Massive fan of Lego Masters. I think it's one of the highlight TV shows for me. It's so much fun. Just tell us a little bit about the dynamic of the show and, and some of the things that have happened for people that haven't seen it. Yeah, so Lego Masters, it basically builds on kids and big kids' love of Lego. We start with eight teams of two, and some teams are husband and wife, some are nephew and uncle, some are brother and sister, some are friends. It all depends. And anyway, these teams of two, they're set challenges, um, one of which is an unplanned challenge and then myself and Matthew who is the vice president of design at Lego judge their designs and then they also have a planned challenge which tends to be a bit longer and then at the end of each episode unfortunately one team is not carried through to next week and throughout the weeks eventually we end up with one team of two who become the Lego Masters. I really like the I think it was episode one of series two with the bridge challenge Mm -hmm. because there's some really complex engineering in that in the fact that they thought they were just having to build a bridge and then Melvin the presenter then turned up with a, a kind of model truck that he was then going to drive across the bridge so it really had to be structurally sound. It was a pretty heavy truck as well <laughs> we, we'd loaded that quite um, quite weightily but what is great is they're starting to really think about the mechanics of their builds so instead of just building something that looks pretty They've got to build something that's functional as yeah. well. And um, and what I love is because because that's engineering yeah. and functional creativity. And Stuart's face when he managed to get the non-rotational linear motion. <laughs> like you could yeah, he could have powered something off that. He was so <laughs> proud. I love Stuart and Izzy. Um because um well one, I can see a lot of myself in Izzy. Yeah. And she came to the show not very confident, and it was like, no, 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 like be who you are you are amazing and um and just to see her confidence grow week on week was brilliant but yeah just in terms of them thinking about not just you know building a yellow bridge building a yellow bridge that would span the the distance and um one thing that i found fascinating was that they were taking elements from bridges that they'd seen but not necessarily realizing where the strength was in that element so they'd build a cable stay bridge, but they wouldn't tether the cables at the other side. Mm. That to me was quite eye-opening in terms of you can look at something and think you see it all, but you haven't. Until you've made it. Until you've made it and gone, oh, actually, then it collapsed. Oh, maybe I did need that thing there just to keep it strong. And it was it was interesting to me because you're only ignorant once. You know, I can't look at a cable stay bridge and go, oh, I don't know how that supports it. You know, I can't, I can't unsee those tethered parts. And it was good... It 
it was good for me to see that not everyone sees it. And so, but they will, they learn from it, like you said, once they've built it. What works really well in the show is, because Matthew, Matthew is a designer. His focus is on aesthetics and what it looks like and you know, if it's colourful or not. Me, I love engineering. And so I'm on the, <laughs> the nuts and bolts. I'm not on what colour the car is. I want to open the bonnet and have a look in and see how it's actually going to run. It works really nicely having us both because I see things that he doesn't see and he highlights things to me that I'm like, oh, I never would have thought of that. And so actually it gives that different perspective on this exactly the same build. I, I want to talk a bit about, I guess the education angle is a big part of this for Pytop. There is a whole bunch of learning stuff going on here as well as they are generally having fun. I mean, particularly the children because pitting adults against children, mm-hmm. you would in- initially think is really unfair and the kids are going to struggle. <laughs> the kids were brilliant. They just so got it. Those two little boys. Uh, Harry and Ollie um, uh, were fantastic. So that was one of my biggest fears because I just came in for series two. Yeah. And one of my biggest fears was when you've got nine-year-old children competing with full-blown adults. And I was like, oh gosh, how is this going to work? And obviously we've got to judge them fairly each on it. You know, there's no handicap, let's mm. say. And I was like, wow, <laughs> how are the children going to react to this? But, oh my gosh, what they lack in experience, they have in imagination and creativity and just out-the-box thinking. And so all of this fear of me maybe having to play it safe with the children, it was absolutely fine. You could just judge them all completely on the same playing field. And the kids, on some weeks, they were just knocking the adults completely off their pedestals. They were phenomenal. And the thing is as well, like, each team wants to be judged fairly. Yeah. And um, the kids don't want any compensation because they're young kids. You know, if they win, they want to win fair and square. What I think is also interesting, as well as the kind of engineering challenges like Bridges, is the creative thing and the sculptural and aesthetic element. Can you talk to that? Yeah. So when you were saying before, just in terms of learning being fun, mm. and that phrase does great on me a bit oh, because it's it's, it's a or edutainment. <laughs> but the thing is, learning is absolutely completely everywhere in every moment of your waking life there is something you can learn and so the fact that when you play you don't learn I just don't understand that type of thinking because that's how young children learn to do the things they do you learn through play and for some reason when we get to school age we think that that's got to completely change and it's just it's just complete nonsense you can you learn through doing and if, if when you play you are doing you can totally learn some things and that's why building with these bricks in this way is so great because you will build something if it falls down you go oh well that doesn't work let me try something else basically (laughs) through trial and error you can come up with a cantilever and that's what I love so even the the designs that look just purely creative like when um they had to sculpt uh, um, Johnny Vegas's face um some teams did better than others (laughs) but yes you've got to make it look like Johnny Vegas or their interpretation of Johnny Vegas but you've also got to make it stand up not fall apart you've got to make sure the ears actually stay attached onto to the face you've got to make sure that the hat is pick and and so yes there are ones that look purely creative but being creative in engineering they you just can't separate them yeah. i kind of liked it when things went wrong Did, was there anything that you can tell us that happened like off camera or any sort of incidents or, or things like that <laughs> um 
there's a few now to be honest Matthew and the team they are absolutely fantastic the the legwork that they put in off camera in terms of testing the challenges to make sure they're they are doable but not too easy not too difficult they're achievable within the time that we give them and the bricks that they've been given um that is not an easy task to do in itself and um, but in terms of things going slightly wrong uh the golf challenge which yes. was incredible um so in the golf challenge if you haven't seen it basically it's part of a crazy golf course and each team has a hole and they've got to come up with a theme and build that hole and it's going to be playable as well and so they're in the studio for several hours building but then they've got to pack up their builds ship them off to this golf course in north london unpack them and then create them again now some builds took the van ride better than others and um, it was heartbreaking to see that some of their builds just came out completely smashed to pieces and they only had an hour to create it and the thing is we've got to be true to those times because it's a competition and it's it's a tv competition yes yeah, so you might think oh they're actually given like four hours to do it no it's it's what you see is what actually happens but what you didn't see was how much the teams care about each other well that's really true a bit of that came across but just just to collaborate on that yeah so like for this golf challenge there was a team that had finished building theirs and there was one team that was still trying to build bear in mind this is a competition and this team that had finished were like can we help you please let us help you let's let you like like not actually with the build because that wasn't allowed but handing them things tidying up and it was just like oh my word i love these people because and it seems to bring out this tribe of people that are really into building things and creating phenomenal things but are just nice people as well because i've been involved with first lego league for a fair few years and it's that same ethos it's that it's not that apprentice dog eat dog i'm better than you and i'll tread on you on my way to the top yeah. it's like oh i think i've completed mine i'm happy with it can i now help you there's something about lego that by just using it I don't know whether it's through sort of the fact we're all schooled in it or grew up with it or whatever, but it's very hard to be mean <laughs> and nasty when you're playing with like Lego. It's one of those products that just makes people have. You can give it to, you know, ex-cons and they'll just start clipping stuff together and making things. But there's that there's that therapeutic side, isn't there? Yeah. To, to making in general, I yes. would say. Yes, true. Um, we are, and I say this a lot, when people don't feel productive when they're sat at a computer all day. As humans, we are born to build. We're born to do stuff with our hands and create stuff when I'm building I can see what I've produced at the end of the day and I'm like oh, I've made something I've done something with my day mm. and so you automatically feel that satisfaction and so I think what happens with Lego when you're building with other stuff is it just taps into that that happy place of when you feel like you're achieving and it might not be what you've got in your head <laughs> But you are doing something and we all love to, to have achieved. It's funny how people don't consider themselves makers, but if you're a cook, you're essentially a maker. Yeah. If you're, you know, a gardener, you know, there's, that's one of the sort of downsides of, uh, well, not the downsides, but it's one of the issues with the kind of maker movement is that people have got hung up on the tech because of got to learn to code, got to learn to code. Now you got to learn to make, yeah. of which coding can be a large part of that. Um, I want to talk about uh, your your love of the flame. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting when you were saying about making, being, having all these different arms. I got into coding. Gosh, when was it? It was quite, well, apart from when I was 10 and coding on my spectrum, yeah. but that gets put away when I found boys. And then, <laughs> um, and then it rears its head again. Gosh, when was it? 2000 quite late like 2013 maybe I think I got back into it yeah. and then this Raspberry Pi was on the scene I was like what is this yeah. I was like this is amazing and then Pi Top and um and so I got into coding through I loved 
knitting. <laughs> Well, it's quite binary, isn't it? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of algorithms and formulas yeah. for knit one, pearl one, right? So I wasn't great knitter, yeah. um, but I was also, I just moved into a house and I was looking around at furniture and I was like, I can't afford that. I was like, oh, but I could build that. Mm. And just by then, and um, my boyfriend at the time, he was like, you're never happiest than when it's like this, what, what do we call them? A make and do day. Yes. And so I'd have a make and do day. So I'd be like, I'm going to build a bedside cabinet. Yeah. And I'd, you know, go and find some wood from a skip and, <laughs> and see what I could make. And then I realized that this coding, I hadn't thought the coding was making. Mm. And, um, and at the time I was quite into editing films, which is another form of making. Yes. And there's just so, so many arms. I was making jam as well. I'm not very, I wasn't very good at making jam. <laughs> I think I did a rub and finger jam. <laughs> <laughs> or you, your own fingers or somebody my else's? My own fingers. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was the only one that wanted to eat it. But yeah, there were so many arms that I think not like some people, yes, they might see tech as being making. And there might be a little bit of gender stereotyping. So some females may think that there is no way they could code. It's not for them. They don't sit in their bedroom for hours and end in front of a, a computer screen, which is, you, you, just, you don't have to do that with coding anymore. Yeah. And so like they might think that the skill that they've learned knitting they can't apply to that or they just wouldn't be able to achieve it or they wouldn't be able to build a bedside cabinet it's absolute nonsense in terms of if you making anything takes that sort of same thought pattern and so i don't know be that a computer game be that raspberry jam or rhubarb and finger jam be that a house it just takes those little steps and yeah making anything is just the same including flamethrowers ah so (laughs) yeah so uh, (laughs) i do like i do like the old flame but that does it does come back to making so um my thing is i design science demonstrations now just so happens that my favorite science demonstrations have flame in for a few reasons one just because i enjoy it but two and there's this big thing in science in terms of make science fun and it's like you don't have to make science fun science engineering in itself is intriguing enough like what an insult to say that we've got to make it fun it's intriguing enough if we can just open the doors on how intriguing it naturally is and show people so i'm not a science clown but I can use the built-in interesting parts of these subjects and highlight them to kids that might have... Teachers are so busy these days that sometimes they've just got to get through the curriculum. And this is not the fault of the teacher, but sometimes children's eyes aren't opened up to how amazing science and engineering can be. And so that's where my job and people like me, that's where it comes in. Now, in terms of designing demonstrations, and this was a little bit how I realized I was a maker. I saw once on YouTube that you can light a Bunsen burner with your finger from a Van de Graaff generator. Okay. Right, which sounds, you know, I was like, oh, that looks fun. So... I knew of a way you could do hydrogen rockets. So I was like, hmm, could I light hydrogen rockets with my finger? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Because that's not more dangerous than making jam. And you've already <laughs> had finger injuries from jam making. So now we're going with lighting hydrogen rockets. Yeah, I, I, I'm a Yorkshire girl. I, I bounce. It's fine. And so, yeah, just step by step, I was like, oh, so if I do this, then would that happen? And it was all about getting a spark from the Van de Graaff into the bottle and still having my finger at the end of it. Um, but anyway, yeah, step by step, walking around these pound shops going, and sometimes people would be like, can I help you? And I'd be like, no, because I don't quite know what I'm looking for. But you just look, I'd look in the kitchen aisle and I'd be like, I want something that's like springy, but not. And like, I would look past what 
the items meant to be used for yes. and just see if I could find that thing. And so eventually I found that thing and it did work. It worked. I can now fire hydrogen rockets with my finger. But a big thing as to how I got into my job at the moment, well, one of my jobs at the moment. So I'm the science content producer at the Royal Institution. Yes. So I head up the team and we designed the demonstrations for the Christmas lectures, which are on each Christmas. <laughs> it's amazing. And the other part time what I do is I, because um, I never thought that job would come available, I basically set up my own company to create that job for me. And so basically I do two, I do the same job, but for two different people. And so do you go into schools and do workshops or, or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, my company is like a white label company. So schools budgets are being cut so much. Yes. And what I didn't want to do was I didn't want to just go to the slice of society that could afford to pay for the things that I was doing. And so I was thinking long and hard, like I want them to come to my school when I was a kid. And there's no way my school could have afforded this type of thing. So I thought long and hard about it. And actually, the answer came to me um, via Google, actually. So Google sponsored us for a school's tour because I did a show on coding, a stage show on coding, Era 404. And they sponsored us to go around schools that was free at the point of entry for schools. But then we got the right amount of budget to be able to deliver it well. Because what I don't want to do, I don't want to rock up with a suitcase, pull out some stuff that the kids have already seen. And like... Mentos and cola bottles. Exactly. It's like, (laughs) look, we can do better than that, but it takes money. And so... I never knew that these companies would spoil us. I was like, hang on. If we can get the money to deliver something that we're proud of, that is high quality, but it's free to the schools, this is the thing that I've been looking for. So yes, and now we're a white label company. So we work with a few corporate companies. At the moment, we work with Siemens, National Grid. So we're free at the point of delivery, but we have a team, a brilliant team of presenters and we can deliver high quality, really thought out shows and workshops to schools for free. Um, you were at Betts, uh, as, as was I. Did you get to have a look around the Betts show? I didn't because I went after six and everything was closed. Well, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't miss much. <laughs> you did stay for our Fringe event, though, in the evening. Yeah. Uh, the videos for that will be are, are online and will be online shortly. Uh, just tell us what you thought of the presentations that you saw. I thought it was great because I think there are still teachers, and I'm not massively into the teaching world. You know, That's not where my knowledge lies. Yeah. But I think there are still teachers that haven't been able to see the amazing things you can do with making. And I think they think that sometimes the cost is prohibitive. And so to see something that is relatively cheap and that could do so much... It's amazing. And just in terms of how tech is becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, they don't understand the nuts and bolts of them through no fault of their own. They don't realise the capability of it because they think that it's how it was 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, and it'll either be too expensive or too difficult. And it's like... No, it's really not. Like, look, you can you can do this. You can make a drone out of this thing. And I was like, okay, that, that's pretty cool. So I know PyTop from a fair few years ago, and I was like, oh, hold the phone. Um, this is this is a new angle. This is this is more than I thought PyTop did. And so I was impressed. Yeah. So plans for 2019? What's on What's in the diary? What's on, uh, Lego Master Series 3? Uh, we still don't know about Lego oh, Master God 3. Oh, God I know. We're, we're still crossing our fingers, um, which makes, you know, using a saw quite difficult. Um, 
2019 is a little bit too busy for me at the moment. I'm quite busy at the Royal Institution as well as their Christmas lectures. Yeah. We do an international tour of their Christmas lectures. So I take the Christmas lectures, which are three times one hour, and I have to change them for a Singapore audience, a Japanese audience, Hong Kong. And sometimes they're one hour, sometimes they're 90 minutes, sometimes they're in this massive studio, sometimes they're in um, a university lecture hall. And so it's my job to just sort of personalize the content. And yeah, we were out the country for like six weeks taking them around. I love the Royal Institution and I love their demonstrations of the past. Oh, they're classic. I mean, I grew up with them. There's two (laughs) things that I think I'll never get in my life. Tickets to the Harry Potter play or tickets to the Royal Institution (laughs) Christmas lectures. Those are my two kind of... Well, you've got to be a member to get tickets. (laughs) Yeah, that's just not going to happen. But the ones from the past are really interesting. Just tell us why. Yeah, um, so... Um, well, we're doing a, um, a scheme at the moment where we're trying to digitise all of the ones that we've got from the past, um, which is phenomenal. So since I've come back to work from Christmas, I have just been watching and watching old Christmas lectures and old, we call them Friday evening discourse. Um, on the last Friday of each month, someone comes and does a talk. So the reason I love the really, and I know I harp on about it so much and I sound like an advert, but I'm really not. It was the first place ever to try and explain science to children. Yes, Michael Faraday, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, 1825 was when the Christmas lecture started. Now, this was a time before formalised education and the fact that children should need to know about science why the hell should they need to know about science and of course they do and so what is great was they it wasn't didactic Eric Glaithway um, was doing ones on Wonderland so he'd take Alice in Wonderland and it was like called engineering in Wonderland or something like that and it would take elements of Alice in Wonderland and look at engineering components in it and so it's just like us today taking Harry Potter and looking at the science in Harry Potter or something it's like it's designed in a way to really appeal to the children but watching these it's fantastic because in the science communication world and in the world of designing science demos which is quite a big world actually the same demos just get churned out year after year after year which is fine because you're only five once so if you do a show to five-year-olds then the next look come in and they haven't seen it, which is fine. And there is a place for that. But we need to move the sector on. We can learn from 40 years of experience. Why aren't we? And so the Royal Institution, you know, if we're the home of the science demo, we should start that learning. We should be the leader in it. So that involves me <laughs> watching all of these old... <laughs> and is the learning still valid in that? I mean, is this stuff still as fresh? And are they all available online for an international audience to watch or are they ring fenced? Um, no, no, no. Like, we're trying to make them completely available to international owners, we're in the process of doing that so they're not quite there at the moment if you go on to the Royal Institution website and it's under Christmas Lectures Watch and you can watch all of the old Christmas lectures and we're missing I think a few series we're on a hunt for those oh a bit like Doctor Who episodes exactly like Doctor <laughs> Who episode basically um, yeah they got recorded over and then someone didn't press record for one of them whoopsie um, oh, no yeah <laughs> um, so it was never recorded and um, so we're on the hunt out for those but um, yeah the learning is still completely relevant obviously science has moved on and so there are theories that aren't correct anymore yeah. but in terms of how a telephone works yeah that's true you know that is always going to be uh, when it's a landline yeah. it's always going to work the same way how magnets work is always going to be the same way now we might have things to add to that but 
getting that knowledge of that older generation who aren't scared to use a big turbine to charge up a gyroscope. You know, it's just normal to them. It's part of it. We've we've come away from the making of, you know, back in those days and we're starting to get back into it. Do you think science communication and science in general is in a good place in the UK at the moment? It's interesting. Oh, I, I think it is and isn't. Right. What's missing? The children's media angle. Really? Yeah. And I would say I think the community that go into schools and do shows, I think they're great. I think we need some professionalization with that so schools know what they're getting. Because obviously, as a school, you're going to go for something free over something that costs, but that's not necessarily going to give you the value that you want. And I think there's um, a few people that may be riding the wagon of the science trendiness that may be perpetuating non-correct facts. Right. Okay, so you've got CBBS. So CBBS, the preschool science channel, where there are really, really good sound, educational yet entertaining programs, and then you get to school shows, like school age shows, and for some reason it all becomes a bit frivolous. Yeah. And and it starts becoming that celebrity culture, the you know, knowing stuff isn't cool. Um, if you go, oh, I don't know, then you're like, you're in the cool gang. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, so I just think it is in a good state, science communication in some aspects, but uh, it could it could really go a wrong way. You know, like my nephew watches on repeat people opening football cards and I'm like whatever floats your boat but surely there's other stuff we could be watching that's there that's just as entertaining that's ah I don't know what to do about it I'm frustrated by it by not having an answer because somehow in my brain I've always gone okay there's a problem okay yeah then we can do this with it and so I think Lego Masters starts to speak to that issue, though. Completely, yeah. And that, that is why I'm so glad to be involved with Lego Masters. They were going to get me involved in the first series, and it just happened that the dates didn't work. I was going to go in as... Because um, in the first series, they had a different guest judge each week. Yeah. And then when it came to the second, they just, just the second series, they decided that they wanted consistency. And so I'm just so happy to be involved with Lego Masters because it does. It's that, it's that family time together and... And it's what I, when what I've been talking to um, people about is we need to figure out why, why, why is this working? It's all well and good us going, oh, wow, this got nice figures. It got um, family sitting down, but why? And sometimes you can go, why, why, why? And still not get the answer. But it's like, if, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm an engineer. I want to analyze stuff and I, I want to learn from it so then we can grow from it. Brilliant. Thanks, Fran. No worries. Thank you for having me. And a huge thanks to Fran for stopping by the office to talk bricks, science and engineering there. I really enjoyed that. Uh, if you haven't seen Lego Masters, uh, do check it out. It is a great show. It's full of creativity and problem solving and teamwork and all the things we love. Uh, it's available on Channel 4 website. If you're in the US, I believe it's been franchised, so it should be coming to you soon. I'm not sure about that. Uh, check press for details. Uh, interestingly, our new product, PyTop 4, comes with a whole bunch of connectors that can clip into Lego. Uh, and we can't wait to see what happens when 
kids get hold of a PyTop 4 and a bunch of Lego and just run with it. So that's coming later on in the year. We look forward to that. Uh, also a reminder that we have an exclusive interview with Raspberry Pi inventor and CEO Eben Upton. Uh, that's uh, episode one of this current series. Uh, so check that out. And also the whole of series one of We Make the Future to Enjoy. So do look at that as well. It's available on all your favourite podcast platforms and apps. That's all for this episode. So I'll see you again in two weeks for more tech, maker and education talk. Until then, goodbye. Bye.